You are the foundation of your family. You are the firm footing they build their lives on. You carry a glorious burden and you never dream of laying it down. You carry it with joy and gratitude. You show up even when you don't feel like it. You lead, serve, love, and protect. You are a father. This is the Dad Work Podcast, where men are forged into elite husbands and fathers by learning what it takes to become harder to kill, easier to love, and equipped to lead. Get ready to start building the only legacy that truly matters, your family. Gentlemen, welcome to the Dad Work Podcast. This is Kurt Storing, your host and the founder of Dad Work. And uh, you know what? We're doing something a little bit different today. We are airing an interview that I did as a guest on my new friend Luke Hastings' podcast. So his podcast is called The Path. And you know what? It might not even be fully released yet. He told me that I could post this before he even released his, which I'm super grateful for, because I think it was actually a, a really good conversation. And I wanted to share with you just a little bit more that would help you understand where I'm coming from, a little bit more of my story, my journey, what is going on for me, and how I think about sort of everything at a, a high level, because I think Luke did a great job here in getting to the heart of the matter in quite a lot of, quite a lot of things. So we're going to be diving into this. You can find Luke and everything he's doing on Instagram, Narrow Way Man. I'll drop those in the show notes, of course, dad.work slash podcast. But go and check out Luke. Make sure you're looking for his podcast as soon as it comes out. So drop him a follow on Instagram or go to his website, narrowwayman.com, I believe is the right URL. And uh, yeah, just follow along and see what he's doing. Talks a lot about Christian manhood with no apology, which I really appreciate. So you can drop into this episode. It's going to be led by Luke. A lot more of me talking in this one than usual. Hopefully you guys like this. Let me know what you think. If you want to hear more of this, uh, I can see if we can do some more podcasts and other shows as well, because I love doing those. So anyway, if you guys have been enjoying this, it would be so good if you could take five seconds wherever you're listening and just go down and give it a rating or a review. This literally is the easiest and fastest way that we can get this show in the ears of more men who need it, because I have got so many messages and reviews and testimonials from the show saying that it's changing guys' lives and affecting their family positively. And that is going to have a massive effect on the life of children. And they're going to be the next generation who raises up the world. And they're going to be the people with whom our children live. So let's do all of our families a favor by leaving a review so that more dads out there get this, become a better family leader, and then raise great kids who will interact with our kids when they grow up. Anyway, all that being said, Love to hear what you think about this episode of me being interviewed by Luke Hastings. Here we go. Not formal. You've you have a podcast, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't have like a bunch of interview questions or anything done. What my podcast vibe is kind of like it's called the path. So it's just walking along the path of life, the things that men encounter along the way could be other guys, giants, vices, women, you know, purpose, all these things. And sometimes people walk with me on the path and we just talk. So Sweet. that's kind of the vibe. But yeah, so welcome, Kurt. Tell me about your faith journey. You just came to faith, what, like six months, a year ago, something like that. But you were already in the masculine space beforehand, already drawn to the age old values that uh, underpin Christianity, whether you knew it or not, I guess. Yeah, so totally. tell me about that. Yeah, man. So we like, I, I look back at a lot of the time before it was a year and a couple months ago now, May of 2022. And I see the fruit of living, you know, somewhat within the confines of what I now see and know is truth. Um, you know, I have always been, the leader of my home, even though I did a really bad job for a long time, yeah. I was trying to do it. Um, my wife has not worked. She's always stayed home, raised the kids. We've had, you know, we've got four kids now. So we've always seen some goodness from that, even though I didn't know why or how to do it. It was just sort of a thing that we found. Um, and so now that I know that I was sort of looking for truth, 
I had just realized that, dude, it, it felt like there was a veil over Christianity. Mm. So my grandparents are believers, um, didn't really get too into it, went to church a little bit as a kid, but that was about it. And then I just fell into this path of like, I don't know, man, nihilism, apathy. And that was, it kept me feeling safe. I didn't have to feel shame or anxiety anymore because I dealt with a lot of that during school and younger years and whatnot. But man, as I was getting to become a father, as I was going through marriage, I was like, I just suck so bad at this and there must be something else. And it all stemmed back from like, I was hurting big time. Like I did not have a strong family leader. I did not know what to do. Nobody told me any of this. And so I was overwhelmed. I was out of control. I didn't have the control that I sought so much. And that just led me onto a path of anger and bitterness and yeah, just, just being a terrible husband and father. But in my need to fix that, I went down like the new age rabbit hole, I'll say, the self-help. And Mm -hmm. what I would say about that is it's very much self-worshipping and Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, the the divine self and the divine masculine and this and that. And and it, it feels good in a sense until you realize there's no end to it because you will never measure up to being worshiped. And so that's where I got. I got to this place where I was like, hey, all my friends and colleagues, they're doing like countless ceremonies, dude. It was like mushrooms here and ayahuasca <laughs> there and like cacao eight times a week. And I'm like, bro, when's it going to be enough? Yeah. And I had my family, man. I was like the only guy I knew that had a family, had kids, had yeah. more responsibility than being a child looking for like the so-called inner child, which is what everyone's journey was about. And yeah. I was like, look, you know what? I'm good. And I just like, I, I removed myself from that. And then I started running men's groups and I started doing all this stuff with dad work. But dude, the week that I finally looked at my life and went, I think I made it. The week that happened, Christ comes across my Instagram feed three times. And like, what an annoying thing for me. A, you know, uh, a selfish uh, agnostic who's just about, you know, big S spiritualism, universalism, whatever. Um, I was like, dude, that's so annoying. And I judged it. Yeah. I was like, man, there, there's no, do you want me to just like get into the testimony part? Cause I, I'll just keep going. Otherwise you can jump in at any time. Um, I don't want to block where you're going, man. I feel like that's where you're going, but I, I am curious. So as we go, you said Christ came across your feet three times. What do you remember kind of the sources of those three things, what they were, man? So, uh, there's two guys in the space. Uh, you probably know them. One is Will Renaissance of man. One is Brendan of uh, oh, yeah. masculine revival. And there's a third one. I can't remember. But we had just started becoming friends, and um, I didn't really know what their faith journeys were. Um, mm-hmm. Brendan is very similar to me in terms of timing, a little bit before me, and I know Will's a yeah. few years before me. Uh-huh. And um, I just thought they were sort of masculine guys into this space, and they started posting stuff about Christ being masculine. It's like, what? Yeah. I didn't think that or know that. I, I thought he was just like super effeminate and right. like for weak people. I really yes. thought the faith was for weak people who yes. were scared of death. And I had faced death through psychedelics and journaling and meditating. And I was like, bro, I'm good. Like yeah. if I die, then whatever, dude. Yeah. But like, it wasn't until I saw Christ as him, what I would say is like the whole self, right. which is, you know, love and wrath and yeah. judgment and mercy, like yeah. all of that, all the whole of God. I didn't realize that it could be everything. And that just, man, it, it suddenly made things make sense. Now I push back against it. Because I judged myself. I was like, oh man, it's only for weak people, blah, blah, blah. But there's something here. And it was just through, like, I asked questions. Will mm-hmm. posted something, Brandon posted something. It's like, what do you mean? And I started going off like, well, what about this sort of like pagan environmentalist argument? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, you know what? D- don't worry about that. And Will said it so well, man. And I'm just going to call out Will here if you guys you know, want to check him out, whatever. But he said, um, Christianity is like two basketball teams that are like the Harlem Globetrotters, but like way worse. And they don't follow the rules and they don't really like play basketball. But if you were to like read the rule book, you'd be like, oh dude, this makes perfect sense. It's just that these guys are doing a really bad job of playing the game. So he's like, don't judge Christianity by the human beings who are applying it. Judge it by what the Bible says and who God is. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, interesting. That's really, it seemed wise to me. So dude, I read everything I get my hands on. All the sort of modern apologetics. I read like... Uh, C.S. Lewis and Chesterton and like all the new ones, like the case for Christ and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was watching all of these documentaries trying to disprove it. And every time I'd bring some up with my wife, I, I was reading the Bible. 
I was like, oh, mm-hmm. they, they must have missed this. What does this mean? And I'd look into it a little bit more and go like, oh, that proved the point even more than I wanted it to. Darn it. Yeah. And dude, like six months in, the the sort of finality of this is I was just grabbing on. I was white knuckling it. Like, God, come on. I know this is probably real, but like I, if you held a gun to my head, I wouldn't have said, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went to church with these you know friends we had just met. And then they prayed for us. We went to their house, a couple hours, talked, prayed. Monday, I'm like, fine. You know what, God? Like, just, I'm just going to leave this with you. Like, I'm not worrying about this anymore. This is stupid. Enough. So I go to church, I go to the gym on Tuesday morning. And on my way home, I'm like, I'm just going to play those two Jesus songs that two people sent me. Like, one of them was my buddy Ryan. Another one is from random girl on Instagram. Mm -hmm. She's like, are you Christian? I'm like, no, but it's funny you say that. And she's like, can you listen to this song? It's like, no, <laughs> but I did. I, and I listened to it like yeah. months later. And these two songs, man, like it's almost, I don't like it because they're like, they're not my song. They're not my style. But in yeah. those songs, like, dude, I just immediately knew it was mm. something about that. Like, I feel like I was taken. And yeah. so I drive home. I like weep in my garage yeah. and admit that Christ is King. And it's been transformative ever since. So that's where my journey sort of started. Mm. And it's been an absolute whirlwind just trying to like maintain spiritual discipline and get in relationship with Jesus. So it's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Let's go. (laughs) That's awesome, bro. Dude, so many big points there. Just like uh, I recently chatted with David Hammond um, and he has uh, a similar story in that he was in the pursuit of masculinity um, in the space and found God in the path, found God in the journey. Um, And his words were, if you're on the self-improvement journey and you just stay honest, you're going to find God at some point. Yeah. But you got to be honest with yourself. Yeah. Well, dude, that's the thing that I keep, I'm I'm struggling with in some people I see who go into the so-called self-healing journey. Mm -hmm. Um, Many people that I witness who like do even close people to us who saw our journey and are like, oh, maybe I should maybe do some of that. The missing link is always ownership. And like you say, being honest. So Mm -hmm. if you're not willing to own up to everything and to realize that like, you can't just blame all of this on childhood or this or that, um, I see huge blocks in people and I've worked with enough guys now and I've seen this in enough people that for me, the like, I wasn't even pursuing masculinity. Honestly, I was pursuing and it sounds so ridiculous. I just wanted to know the truth. And it took me like a few weeks into Christianity to read. And I was like, oh, eternal life. Like, sweet. What an amazing payoff. But that's not what I was going for. I was going for truth. And I think because Mm -hmm. I had always taken full responsibility for all of my screw ups and it was so painful because there was a lot of shame and guilt that came with that when you're dealing with it alone outside of God. Like, dude, that was always me, no matter what my issues were, it was always like, bro, it might not be your fault, but it's hundred percent your responsibility. And I think that is so true that the honesty piece for me is how responsible can you be and how authentic can you be to the fact that like, dude, it's on you and you have to go there and you've got to take that on yourself and you cannot victimize yourself by putting on anyone else. So I really like the honesty word there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny how the honesty ties to this idea of truth. Honesty implies that there is truth. The yeah. new age, postmodernism, post-enlightenment, we're very nervous to talk about truth as an objective reality, especially in the spiritual world because that would imply that there are untruths. That would imply that there are people that are wrong. That would imply that there could be a life after death that is only one way. Like it's either this or it's that. There's not, it is what you make it. It's going to be whatever it is and you're going to have to adjust. And uh, those are all very scary things, but I think they're the foundation for masculine development at its peak, right? Is being grounded in something that doesn't move, right? Being grounded in a frame that you can fall back on even when you're not perfect, even when you don't see the path. You always have tenets that you know are irrefutably true. But if you lose that, uh, which we have as a culture in the West, you're in my country's both, uh, Kurt's in Canada, by the way, but uh, the West has lost that. And with that, we've lost our masculine frame, sadly. Yeah, there, man, this is like... (laughs) It seems like the biggest topic to possibly go into. And I see this in guys that I work with. I'm like, if you just acted more like a leader, no, like, what do you mean your wife is pushing you around? Like, what do you mean 
she can bully you. Like my, my wife can't bully me because I'm the leader and mm-hmm. I'm in the masculine frame, so to speak. And mm-hmm. like, I just learned about masculine frame the other day. Cause like, <laughs> this is so how out of, like, I'm not in the space. I'm honestly really not in the space. You didn't grow I, up as red pill. <laughs> no, I, like I didn't know anything about the red pill. I did. I had Ryan King on the podcast, my podcast uh-huh. to be like, what is this red pill stuff? Cause he just learned about it too, but his followers were a little bit younger looking at how to be a man. And yeah. so he's like, bro, I just learned about this. So like the Andrew Tates and the Rolos and all these guys, uh-huh. I had no idea. So this idea of masculine frame, I was like, I guess popular in this space, but I don't know much about what it means other than like, of course I'm the leader, bro. Like You're not going to bully me because I know the buck stops with me. And Uh that's not to say that like, I get to lord that over anyone is to Mm -hmm. say that I lay my life down for them. So like, you want to talk about, um, like what role you want to play? That's a way harder role to play than, you know, submission, for example. And I don't want to get into that necessarily yet because we're still on this topic. Mm -hmm. Um, but I see the fallout culturally and societally of not having something like that, because what happens when you don't have that is you just put yourself in there. And you will, I said this a few minutes ago, you'll always crumble under the weight of worship if you're not designed to be worshiped and try mm-hmm. it. Like, mm-hmm. just try it. If you haven't gone through that seri- uh, that period in your life, you'll notice that as soon as you break, as soon as you're not perfect for a minute, like the whole sham comes undone. And that is what we see over and over again. But what are we offering, guys? Nothing. Try harder. You're an idiot. You know, be a man, blah, blah, blah. And I'm all about that, dude. But... I'm not all about that in terms of like, if you crumble, you're a failure, get back on it because we have to be able to lean on someone else. And so the societal framework of this is leeching, I think, into personal lives where you get guys who aren't willing to stand for anything Mm -hmm. because they're scared, Mm -hmm. because they don't want to be wrong. Because if they're wrong, their whole facade comes crashing down and their identity crashes. And like, dude, there is so much that goes into that, that I want to like, what I'm trying to do with my guys a lot of the time is like, dude, stand for something. You have to be willing to be hated for the truth. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do that, your wife's going to walk all over you. Your kids are going to walk all over you. Life is going to walk all over you. And you'll know. Everybody already know, They always know. In the back of your mind, you'll feel regret. And that will mm-hmm. never leave unless you're willing to do the hard things. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that gives us anything else to go off of, but I think that's, yeah, that's what I'd say there. Yeah, dude, I love it. Um, that reminds me of a similar thing I use in my content. And that's that good men or strong men, rather, that's probably the better word, strong men. Those guys get a lot of flack for what they do. Weak men get flack for what they don't do. Yeah. So if, if you're trying to make the bridge, make the jump to kind of taking back your masculinity, part of that is going to be doing things. It's not going to be sitting around thinking, although that's good that there's a time and place for that. But if you truly want to step into your masculinity it will require action that will piss people off. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you're not pissing people off, you are not fully stepping into your power and taking action. And that includes your wife. It includes your kids. It includes your friends, maybe your family too. Not that we need to be jerks, but if you're not taking a stance strong enough to upset someone, it's not a strong enough stance. Dude, there's a couple things on this. Number one, like I think that probably... A huge part of my success, at least, is because I have an action bias. Mm-hmm. And that's tempered by fear of man, honestly, and in some cases. And that's mm-hmm. a huge thing that I've been working on over the last number of years. But it's absolutely true. Is It's like the man in the arena, right? Like, I don't need to go over that speech. Go listen to it if you haven't heard that. Um, but, like, I'm listening to or reading Teddy Roosevelt's biography right now. Mm. And it wasn't just a speech, man. Like, that dude just did stuff. And he was ultra-masculine. But when it comes to like persecution for truth, Mm. two things, you know, in my scripture reading yesterday, what did Jesus say? Like whoever leaves family and home and all this kind of stuff will be basically, I can't remember the exact scripture, but like rewarded in this time and persecuted. Mm -hmm. It's like a promise of reward and also you're going to be persecuted and then eternal life. So like the payoff is well worth it, but If you're walking truth, which is to say Christianity, you're going to be persecuted. So let's just get that out of the way. If you think you're not going to be persecuted, then you're not doing this right. And that also goes into a more practical like family application. Mm -hmm. I've had times 
when I know what the right call is after discussion with my wife, after making sure I'm there, because again, this isn't my way or the highway. This is how can I do best by my family because I love them, not because I need to be the leader, but because I love them. There's been times when I've had to say, Hey, you know what? This thing you're doing, I'm not gonna let you do that anymore. I'm not listening to this as you continue to talk this way. For example, to my wife, and I have asked her to stop nagging or whatever the thing is. And in the moment she's like, Oh, like a little bit huffy. Right. And, and that's fine because I have to be okay with her having an emotion about that. It's important, whatever. It doesn't mean anything about me, but I've had times like that where she's come back and said, Oh, thank you. Like I was spiraling there. And if you hadn't stepped in and done the thing that made me upset in the moment, I would have gone further and it would have made it worse for you and the kids and me as well. So even if you do something that someone doesn't like, you have to be able to back that up. And it doesn't always mean they're going to dislike it forever because you should be a leader worth following, which ultimately shows itself out by them, which is to say your family going farther than they could alone. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you're doing things, taking action, building trust, I think trust is built through action repetitively. Um, then they're going to be more likely to trust you when you have to make those hard calls. And when you do upset them, for your wife to be like, I'm upset right now, but I trust you. I don't like this, but I'm going to follow you. And that comes from consistent action, always following the truth and not worrying about taking people off, basically. Heard. Yeah. There's a lot we could go into there. Um, I was reminded of your posts, uh, crapping on video games. <laughs> so I really <laughs> love that those posts because I think it ties in directly to what you were saying about Christ's promise of reward and persecution because in life as a man develops as he pursues his goals and as he uh, grows as a man there is always in real life some risk of opposition persecution negativity pain etc that comes with whatever would bring the reward not so in video games Mm. in video games you're just frustrated that you didn't pass the level but your brain thinks that you're like slaughtering armies or, you know, conquering things, completing quests, doing all this cool stuff. You're totally not, but your brain thinks you are. And it's signaling to you, Hey, you can do all this without actually putting yourself in danger without actually facing persecution. And it's just a lie, man. Yeah. And guys are hooked on that stuff for years and then wonder why their real life looks like trash. Well, dude, it's because your subconscious mind thinks that you're crushing it. Yeah. Why would you be motivated to do anything? Yeah. And it's not, guys are like, well, what does it matter? Like, I'll just play with my kids a little bit. And I'm like, even in that man, and I I know some great dads who do that to connect with their kids. For me though, I spent so many years as a young man playing video games. I don't even want to know like literal years. If you were to add it up, I probably wasted like a year or two at it all accumulatively, like hours daily for years. And Mm. it was so horrible Mm. and it got me literally nowhere other than an escape. (laughs) Literally Uh, nowhere. Yeah. Like everything. When I like turned off the system, Oh, I did nothing. My life did not move. (laughs) I did not go anywhere. I did not gain anything. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, You mean to tell me that you didn't get better at like reaction time and life strategy (laughs) and strategic thinking like that didn't help you but the studies you're not a better man yeah well i don't know man i I could source you studies that say it's good for development it's good for kids and of course it is like no (laughs) absolute trash never good for me huge waste of time and a childish escape so i'm just gonna say if you're playing video games listen to this straight up call out throw them away there's literally so much more. If your life is not exciting enough that you'd rather play life than video games, start doing better at life. There we and go. this is the thing that you don't understand is you can just choose to act differently. Guys don't seem to understand like the rules of life are mostly just the societal rules that are lowest common denominator, mm-hmm. right? Like obviously there's rules of reality and rules of morality set by God, yeah. but like how you live within that Largely just lowest common denominator to keep society together. For example, like we moved to Thailand and Eastern Europe for a couple of years when we had two young kids. You're not supposed to do that. You're not allowed to do that. That's too hard. How are you going to, what's going to happen? It's dangerous. No, it wasn't. It was awesome. And it was hard, (laughs) but it was also awesome. So like 
I, I don't have a job. I haven't had a job since I was like 22 years old. And I quit it and moved over here when my wife is pregnant. You're not supposed to do that. Right. So we did it, whatever. And this is not like, oh, look how good I am. It's, it's worked out, thank God. Mm-hmm. But this is to say, I never went, oh, what am I supposed to do here? I'm like, what do I want to do? And I always will audit my life like at least a couple times a year. And I've mm. got my, like, I've got a, a self audit form that covers like 12 different things. Mm. I'm like, how am I doing here out of 10 and why? Well, what mm-hmm. would a 10 look like? And then I literally go, what is the action step to go from here to a 10? Mm-hmm. And then that just gives you constant feedback to start doing things to become a better human being and have a better life and to not need to go into video games. But then there's that addiction aspect. And then there's that like running from reality aspect because a lot of men are hurt. And same thing goes for porn here. But I want to tell you guys, real quick anecdotal story. Guy joined our coaching group, and the day we were on a call, he saw the video game post. And he's like, oh, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, bro, throw that out. And he's like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. And he literally drove with me on the phone to Goodwill and threw out his Xbox. Let's and go. now from near divorce, he's having another child. So like, this is the real life application of trying harder in your own life Rather than like beating the next level or playing with your bros on Fortnite or whatever's popular these days. It's just, Mm. I can't believe it's a thing, but I do want to acknowledge the pain that a lot of guys feel that they're not willing to feel, which is why they go there in the first place oftentimes. Mm -hmm. So that's a bigger discussion, obviously, but there's, there's no, in my opinion, no justification for that or porn or anything like that. Right. Yep. hundred percent, dude. My, uh, my blanket statement on that is we need to be real careful with things that were invented in the past 150 years and had nothing that resembled them for the large majority of human existence. We should probably be really careful (laughs) before we uh, go headlong into something like that. You know, think about what you're doing. Like think about how you were designed. I don't care if you believe in evolution or creation or whatever it is. Think about like your biology as evident for thousands of years And then we have this small little blip of time in the past 100, 150 years where technology has just exploded in a way that is unprecedented and unpredictable by anyone not in the 19th, 20th, 21st century. And we're just out here fully engaging with it like, oh, this this is surely no problem. There's surely nothing that could could go wrong here. It's like, come on, bro. Dude. Gotta open the eyes up. This is so, so I made another post like this, which is you're not depressed. You basically just suck at being a human, right? Like if you look at your physiology and how you're supporting that, are you waking up and getting sun in your eyes? Are you having your bare feet on the ground or wearing, I mean, dude, in Canada, we don't wear shoes inside, but I know a lot of my American brothers do stop doing that. Like take your shoes off, go get grounded. But then like, what food are you eating? Uh What water are you drinking? Are you standing more than you're sitting? Are you literally doing anything in relation to what it would have been like for the entire history of humanity. And if you're not doing that, no wonder you're depressed and anxious and miserable because you were not designed to live this way. And, you know, you can go all sorts of, you know, crazy or otherwise rabbit holes in terms of what the point of that is, trying to make you docile and easily controllable. But the bottom line is like, dude, if you are feeling bad, try living more like a human, which is to say, work out a bit, eat good food, don't stare at your screen all day, try not to work under fluorescent light in an office all freaking day, and then just go outside at the right times. Like, it's not that hard. Be somewhat fit and, like, be around people and Mm. have community and worship. Like, man, so many Mm. of the problems would be solved if we just stopped being so stupid about what it means to be human. And that's really sad. It's it's tragic because I, I look around, actually, I've been having a hard time with this. Um, I don't know if you are the same in this way, but I find myself getting almost judgmental going like, can't you see? And I will, you know, I know it's none of my concern. And so I'm really working on what can I control here? And, and can I just lead by example and hope that the right people will just follow me? Sure. But man, like there's so many people that go to the grocery store. What are you putting in your cart? Are you thinking about that? Why not? What does that mean? What do you like? What kind of, again, the pain, man. Some people are so divorced from having a father pointing them to the whole, the heavenly father that of course you're trying to fill that with something else that's unhealthy, that you don't know any better, that you just trust somebody else because you've never had, going back to the original um, content about this, the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, like in, in my work now is like trying to encourage dads. That is so freaking important because every guy, 
every guy I work with as an adult still wants something from his father in terms of love or affirmation. Now, I think that father-sized holes in our hearts lead to God. I also think that good fathers lead to God. So interestingly, how both of those ought lead to God. But that is to say that if you are now a father and you've got a child, he or she wants love and affirmation from you. And if you don't show up as a father, he or she is going to grow up much like you feel today, which is looking for something to fill that hole. And unless it's the right thing, you're just going to have another cycle of misery. So all these things are so intricately connected back to truth and back to how God has made this work all together, which in my opinion is the family. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man, it's, it's tough for me to stay super above board sometimes. Cause I'm like, Oh, if I could just reach more people. So uh, we're triggering Kurt. Very good. <laughs> Kurt's getting triggered in a yes. good way. That's triggered good. with uh, yeah, the uppercase R and the lowercase I and the uppercase G. <laughs> I'm so triggered. <laughs> yes. Yes. But he's triggered not to make mean comments on the internet. He's triggered to take action, to disciple men, to coach men. Tell tell me about kind of your coaching business. I want to hear a little bit about that and for my listeners who may be interested as well. Yeah. So basically, this comes from my own pain. Um, yeah. Everything that we do is just everything that I had to do to get out of it. Yeah. And we generally take dads who are not leading, they're fighting with their wives, their kids aren't listening, they don't know what to do and they probably have no purpose yep. or they don't feel like they have a purpose. Yep. And the transformation is, let's become a confident family leader. Yep. Intimate marriage, raising great kids, confident, with a purpose, with a vision. And like, it's almost like an operating system that your dad didn't teach you. Yep. Learned the hard way through me. And I'll <laughs> give you that in a lot less time than it took me, which again, almost cost me my marriage my life, Mm. um, business, all the rest of that kind of stuff. So Mm. in a nutshell, I believe there's mm, five-ish things that every guy I work with benefits from. Number one is, we've kind of talked about it already, this leadership mindset, which is the buck stops with you. You're Mm -hmm. now 100% responsible for everything. Mm -hmm. And leadership is a two-way street here. You lead by serving, this is the so-called servant leader, but I think people get that wrong because when you lead by serving, you also have to serve by leading. And that mm-hmm. is making those hard choices that potentially mm-hmm. upset people. So that's number one, the mindset of being a leader. Mm-hmm. Number two is, imagine, action. So what habits mm-hmm. are you doing every single day that are going to make you, at least for my brand, hard to kill, easy to love, and equipped to lead? Mm-hmm. Basic actions every day to instill trust and confidence in yourself and with your family. Mm-hmm. The third thing, pardon me, is having a vision to tie the daily actions to. So mm-hmm. why are you? Why do I get up early? Why do I get up early, go to the gym? I'm doing a 100 burpee per day challenge for this month from the guys in our group. And I'm like, dude, it's not always fun, but I am doing yeah. this because it hits my vision, which is to be the patriarch of a huge family who loves each other and loves God. And I want to be able to squat all the way down. I want to be able to pick up my great grandkids. And so all that I do minutely leads to my big vision. And I know exactly how I'm going to get there because I've got lifelong plans. I've got 10 year plans. I've got this, I've got that. I've got values. Yeah. I've got goals with parenting and marriage. I've put all of this together in like a family business plan, so to speak. And I'm just going to follow the map. Number four is skills. And this is like the hardest one to just give someone. Sure. But I had to, I I like the analogy of like a captain of a ship. So if I'm following like the David Goggins path, apparently all I need to do is row really hard. And if I row super hard, I will win. Well, okay, well, that's an important piece, but what if you don't know where you're going? Yeah. Okay, well, then you're going to wind up in the ocean and die. And if your family's on board, not very good. So that's why we need the vision and the map. Great. Okay, now let's say you're going through a storm and you're like, oh, I didn't learn this. I'm. You're probably going to drown. Yeah. So what do we need then? In the family setting, you need to know how to be an actual relational expert. There's things like how to communicate, conflict resolution, setting boundaries, how to parent, how to be uh, like a married man, how to do all these things that, again, your dad should have taught you or you should have seen from elders, but you didn't. Mm -hmm. So these are, you know, books and podcasts and lessons and courses and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then finally, for me at least, the thing that sort of like broke me through the edge from hitting my head against the wall over and over and over was brotherhood. Mm -hmm. And it was being around other men in fellowship and sharing and supporting and challenging. 
And so when you put all those pieces together and then like hopefully through me, a mentor, a coach sort of thing who's been there before, we can bring you through that in like a fraction of the time and give you that operating system to just start winning at home. Because I used to think, man, like it, it looked good on the outside. I had the business sort of fit-ish, traveling the world with my family. Everyone's, you know, beautiful, attractive looking. Everything looked good. Yeah. But I knew that my family life was like the worst part of my life and it was mm. my fault. Mm. And I, I want guys to to go from having family as the worst part of their lives to literally the best mm-hmm. because that's what it is now. So anyway, we've got weekly calls. We've got courses. We've got all the guys. We've got me there. We've got like a lot of touch points and accountability um, through Slack and zoom and all that kind of stuff. So that's like the, the basics and, um, generally how I look at doing any work with dads, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. I want to ask you a question about your career because I'm sensing a vibe, uh, from what you're saying. Would you, I may be a million miles off, but would you say that from the outside looking in like somebody like me, that's looking at you on paper from the outside looking in is Kurt's career path, a bunch of stupid decisions that turned out well. Great question, man. The, um, it depends where, where you're at, because for me, they've been great decisions because I bet on myself all the time. Um, when, for example, I would go to the bank in the earlier days, I'd be like, this isn't going to make sense to you, but I need this money. And, um, I'm going to take it out of, you know, this account and don't tell me anything. I know that you think it's stupid, right? It's not. I bet on myself and I, you know, usually do well enough. So perhaps like my, Dude, I, I worked in politics for a long time as like a teenager up to 22-ish. Yeah. And I quit my job. I was working for a government minister here in Canada and moved out. And I went, I'm not getting another job. Screw that. And my wife was pregnant and I just moved a thousand kilometers away. Not a smart decision on paper, presumably. Right. But I Googled how to make money. <laughs> I literally, dude, I Googled Let's how to make go. money online. And rather than getting scammed, I found like the only honest dude in the world. No way. I followed a system, made some money and did a little consulting to make ends meet over the first couple okay, of years. Okay. Okay. Fill it, me in, fill me in some details, some color here. So Kurt is 22. He's working for the government. Uh, maybe is it the government or politician? Like both. I was on the political side of the government team. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So he's He's doing the pol- the politician government game in Canada. He's 22 years old. He's married. Wife's pregnant. And then we decide to quit? Correct. See, yeah. <laughs> Outside looking in, that's dumb, right? Are, are, but no, it's, it's good because you're betting on yourself and you have a vision, you have a plan, and you're going to take action. So then you're Googling how to make money online. If you don't mind, what year was that? 2000 what? 2012. So 2012, he's Googling how to make money online. And we found an honest player, like first try. Yeah. So here, here's the weird thing. As I look back, I'm like, there's a God thing going on here. The first website that I clicked was Christian PF, Christian personal finance. And at the time I was like, whatever, didn't even think, but it stuck in my head. And I found this guy named Pat Flynn He's still going. He's running online things. He's running, he's got like a Pokemon YouTube channel. He's hosting events. Really like, (laughs) really lovely guy. But he was actually honest and he's like, here's how I made my website. I'm making a couple thousand bucks a month. Why don't you come through and do it with me? And we'll just like help each other out. And I was like, let's go. So I made my thing. My very first website was on concealed carry classes that you would need to get a concealed carry permit in certain states that allow that. I didn't okay. even know what that was. I just Googled, I found something on Google randomly and I was like, looks good enough for me. So I make a website. I remember the very first time someone clicked on one of my links, like an AdSense link, it was like 36 cents. And I was like, it works. The first Let's time. freaking go. And so, yeah, the yep. first site I made, it yeah. like, I think I got up to like a hundred bucks a month and I sold that site for a thousand bucks. And I was like, okay. this is the path. And so I literally yep. did that for the next yep. like eight or nine years. So backing up for some of my younger listeners or guys not experienced in the digital space, what I'm hearing Kurt say is he creates an informational website with stuff that a certain niche, a certain crowd is going to be interested in, namely uh, how to conceal carry, get registered, what the laws are, et cetera. So he creates a bunch of information. He gets some eyeballs on it. Then he gets some AdSense from Google because Google values the eyeballs coming to his website. Then the ads are targeted to those users based on their search histories, et cetera. And then whenever they click on those ads, Kurt gets a kickback. Then he eventually works that up. He works his audience up and his SEO, et cetera, getting optimized and seen in Google search results. He works that up enough to where he has this digital real estate asset that is valuable, and then he's able to sell it. 
Is that a good kind of summary? 100%, man. Perfect. It's like you know yeah. the space. So what happens next? Uh, man, I, well, I do that for many years. Um, in the midst of that, that was always my thing, but I started Amazon FBA companies. Okay. Um, I started like, I try, I did a couple of coaching gigs for SEO cause that was my thing. SEO and affiliate marketing. Yep. Yep. Um, I tried launching t-shirt brands. Like, dude, I did all of the internet marketing, um, shiny object thing, mm-hmm. looking for a quick buck. That was always my thing. Sure. I didn't realize, which I do now. And I talk to guys about this all the time, that time is the inescapable variable to success. And yes, mm-hmm. there are the few people who make it on the first try and they, but they you know, pay for it later. Almost. That's always. what no one yes. understands. I want to harp on that just for a moment, guys. If you're, if you're listening and you see all the 20 year old young bucks doing 50 K a month with XYZ drop shipping, FBA crypto, whatever it is. Yes, they are making it now, but not that you're going to do this, but follow them for 10 more years. Yeah. They're going to pay for lessons they didn't learn later. And it might not be financially, but it's going to be with character. It's going to be with family. It's going to be with life as a whole. And so to Kurt's point, time is that universal currency you have to pay. Some people pay later, and I would not consider those the lucky ones. Dude. So the reason that I am even more certain about this, I mean, so I'm 34 now and, you know, I've got 10 year old kids. So I've, I've been through a lot already, yeah, but I yeah. don't want to be, I don't want to be wise or a sage yet, honestly. And I'm, I'm careful with that. But yeah, through my experience, I finally learned this and I finally stopped going for all of the things right now, holding on to what I had trying to get more. And the thing that really nailed this into me was actually in Proverbs. And I think it's 2021, which at least according to whatever I just Googled says an inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Mm. Like, how's that? That's just straight up. <laughs> like, yeah, don't do this. Don't go yeah. for the quick buck. Um, dummy. <laughs> like it's not going to work. And I've seen that over and over and over again. I got to this point over and over where I'd hit my number where I felt like a little bit safe. And then something would happen and it'd take me just a little bit down. And I'm like, I'm never going to get this because mm. I think I was grasping and needy for it. Mm. And I needed the safety of money. Mm. And so all along this journey, and dude, I would build a website and I'd sell it because you could get 36 times monthly earnings. Mm. So, you know, I'm punting three years in the future. I'm like, I think Google could change by then. I might as well get my payday now. But it was this constant cycle of up and down, up and down, up and down, never feeling safe, like I'm building something full and real. Yeah. I got to a point two, well, three, three-ish years ago, maybe. Um, man, time is flying now. But I was going to start a real business. I don't know if this <laughs> okay. is interesting for you. So like, you can cut me off at any point, but no, I was going to start uh, a local cleaning company and I was going to do the thing like sweaty startup. Uh, if you guys have you know heard that guy on Twitter, Nick Huber, he's got this brand sweaty startup where you start something that's super basic, like a cleaning company or a mowing company, but you use technology to blow it out of the water and you just outperform all the local mom and pops. That's what I was going to do. And it was only to prove to myself that I was a quote unquote real businessman. Mm. It wasn't to serve. It wasn't to do anything like this. It was mm. my spreadsheet said I could make money. Bingo. Check number one. Mm. And I could prove to myself that I'm not just some online schlep. That would be number two. Unfortunately, so I, I had sold a bunch of my websites. I had a, a runway that if I didn't make any money for like two years, I would have been fine. Yeah. And that felt pretty safe. So I go in and I try to start this business and ooh, man, I'm like, I'm spending money. I'm buying this. I'm buying the best. I'm hiring coaches, all my stuff. I bought cars. I had the cars wrapped. I had everything ready before I even did anything. Even though I'm like, dude, I've been in the online space for ages. I know that you don't do this. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, but I'm really smart. Like I'm going to figure this out. All right. Let's hit pause right there. Kurt, why do you not do that? Bro, (laughs) the first thing that everyone knows in business is you have to know that you're able to even perform the thing and make a sale before you spend all your money on that because there's no point doing anything before you know that this is a valid service that people actually will pay you for. And I just took it for granted that of course they were going to do that. I had mentors, I had coaches, I had numbers. I called around, I knew what everyone else was charging. I'm like, obviously this is going to work, but I didn't actually do it. And, And not only is it for that usual reason, which is like, just try it and make some money first and then grow bigger. But I didn't get to learn that I hated it. And that caused (laughs) (laughs) all the problems. So here I am like tens of thousands of dollars in taking money out of this, like, you know, two year runway, hiring coaches, hiring crews, like getting everything SOPs printed and laminated, bro. I was all in. 
and it feels <laughs> it feels so silly thinking back to it, but this is one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, I kept going back and forth. I was like, ooh, I don't know if this feels good. And in my head, I'm like, oh, well, it's because it's a real business and it's actually local and you've got to and learn I'm all And I'm sorry, my mind's blinking. What was the business? Uh, it was like a local cleaning company. It's going to be right, super high right. end. Cleaning company. Yeah. It was going like to be super high commercial, end. commercial, both? Residential. Okay. Yeah. Like really fast, really good, all the bells and whistles. Got it. And I was like humming it on. I did this like three times in the, over the course of like three or four months. It's like, ooh, maybe I should pull back. And then I was like, no, man, it's just because you're scared push through if you're if you're feeling apprehensive it means you have to keep doing it like all of that mm. but what i didn't realize and i found this out two days before launch was that it was so outside of my values to do this kind of business mm. that there was no way i could ever stay in it for more than like a month or two with willpower alone mm. it was so outside of my values and it took me until the second day before launch because i couldn't even open my laptop i was basically having a panic attack mm. not because like the work i just hated it so much it's like, mm -hmm. what am i hey, doing tell me real quick tell me about what you mean by outside of your values because some people are going to hear that and they're going to say oh well what's what's immoral about a cleaning company what's is there like sneaky deals he was having to make or something that's not what you mean what do you mean though yeah so i um basically i learned that my sort of quote unquote core values are a great decision making framework mm. and i learned this from my mentor scott and he's like you need personal values you need business values so that every decision you just run through the five values mm. does this give me uh, is this like authentic is this truthful is it god honoring whatever but like for me is this going to give me independence of mm. schedule? Mm -hmm. Very important for me, just how I operate. I need mm -hmm. that for my family, for how I like it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely it wasn't. Um, mm -hmm. Is this going to be something that like I can grow and then take time off? Again, independence of schedule, but like mm -hmm. basically my core values, was this going to align with if I kept building it? And mm -hmm. if I had done this exercise at the very beginning, mm -hmm. it would have been an absolutely no it wouldn't even got past number one yeah, yeah, yeah and yet i just didn't do that and so i finally did what i should have done which is i closed my laptop because well i couldn't even open it at this point i yeah. went for a huge run like a 20 something kilometer run and i got to the point where i sat down in the woods and i started calling guys just every man i knew i was like hey man this is what i'm feeling um what do you think like i, I actually in my heart i kind of want to not do it mm -hmm. and i called my grandfather, I called coaches that I had, I called friends, like mm. every man that I knew because my fear wasn't, oh, I should close this and then like, oh, whatever, and it's going to be annoying. My fear was, oh, everyone's going to think I'm an idiot. Mm. It was fear of judgment, mm -hmm. of failure, because up until this point, my life had been like, I'm perfect. And right. like everything about me has to be perfect. Yeah. And that comes from not wanting to get in trouble because when I got in trouble as a child, I always had to take on everyone's emotions. Mm. So for me to control everything and appear perfect meant that like I was never going to have to have the pain of being told everything was my fault. So I'm just going to be as perfect as I can be. So that was everything. And honestly, man, I think that that holds men back and held me back because when you have to be perfect, you can't take big risks. I mean, I, I guess in hindsight, like I was taking big risks in terms of like what normal people would do, but I was like, you know, not going for the big business. I was not doing the things that I like might not have worked because if I failed, my entire identity would have been crushed. And yep. we talked about this before, right? Like I was that pillar yep. in my life. I, yep. I was trying to be the God in my life. Yep. So if I had failed, it would be too much for me to bear. But in this moment, I called like my grandfather and I was like, would you think I'm a total loser if I shut this down? Like would other people think I'm a loser? Mm. He's like, well, the people might be upset, but what does it have to do with you? Mm. It's like, well, everything. He's like, what? <laughs> like, no, it doesn't. It has nothing to do with you. It's all on them. And they mm -hmm. get to decide whether they feel that way, but you need to decide what is right for you. And so, dude, this was the, the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And it seems like super basic for a lot of people, I'm sure. But I had to call the three women that I hired and I was like, hey, uh, something came up. This isn't going to work. We're not starting in two days. Um, mm. Sorry, you're going to have to find a new job. So one lady was like, are you scamming me? Like, why did you do this? And I was like, mm. oh man, it felt so bad. Yeah. And every person that I had to tell, because I booked like 20 cleanings that were like preparation cleanings. We we're going to train there. We gave people a discount. Mm. I had to call every single one of those and be like, something came up. We can't do this. Sorry. Mm. And every time I did that, I had to admit the failure to someone else. Mm. And having never truly failed before, it was so 
crushing mm-hmm. and then it was so freeing mm-hmm. as yeah. soon as i didn't die <laughs> like dude literally as soon as i made those calls and i wasn't dead and my wife was still there and my grandfather was like hey what's going on and my kids still love me and the world was still turning it's like oh you can fail I didn't know that. And it was a massive relief for me. Yeah. So I worked through that with coaches and mentors and stuff like that to understand that I was still holding a lot of control, that I was still not allowing myself to be human, really imperfect, perfectly imperfect, whatever. Yeah. Um, and that allowed me to really let go of a lot. Yeah. So looking back in hindsight, probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, mm. other than salvation, but like that was Very one powerful. of the biggest things that ever happened was failure in a world where I, I didn't think I could. Mm-hmm. And that led me into starting dad work because I was like, well, I've got this time. I've got a little bit of money. What the heck am I going to do now? And mm-hmm. dad work has been on my mind for since 2018 mm-hmm. when I was wow. just finally starting to like get better. And, you know, that I say that very loosely because I was just looking at some old journal entries from 2018 and I was like, oh, bro, <laughs> those would, I actually sent them to a guy in my group because I was like, bro, I get it. Look, this is what I was dealing with. You're nice. dealing with this too. Nice. But Around that time, I was just coming from being like the worst to being about neutral. Mm. And I told a friend on the way to um, a mountain biking trip, I was like, dude, one day I think I might want to like speak at like a a TED event on fatherhood and just like help dads not feel how bad I felt. Mm. And so this is rolling around in my head. It's rolling around in my head. And I kept, I don't want to put myself out there. Who am I? What have I done? And then, you know, I guess God just gave me this opportunity. It was like, those cleaning business is wrong. Do this now. So that's been the last two, two-ish years. I love it, dude. Such a powerful story and oh, so many things we could talk about with that. But uh, for you guys listening, familiar with uh, my content on identity, I want to zone in on two big lessons from that spiel that Kurt gave. One is that failure is not necessarily a bad thing in the big picture. It really sucks in the moment, but... It sounds like from what Kurt is saying, it was a really good thing for him because of the lessons he learned through that. And sometimes failure is the only way to learn certain lessons or to even expose that there's lessons to be learned. Sometimes you don't know you need to learn the lessons that you learn through failure. So guys, you know, taking those risks, if it's coming from a good heart, if you're acknowledging the Lord in all of your ways, trust him to keep your path straight. Be willing to fail. Uh, the second big piece I want to pull from that is this concept of identity, which you guys know I'm huge on. Uh, Kurt, if you were one of my clients during that time, I would definitely say you are struggling with two of the biggest identity lies that men believe. Number one is I am what I do. Number two is I am what others think of me. And those were the two crippling beliefs that you were holding in that season. And it was only through failure And having what you do become a failure and having to risk other people's disapproval for you to realize, oh, I I am not what I do. I am not what other people think of me. And I'm okay, even after failing. And so guys, you know, in in one sense, I want to tell you, don't wait until you start a whole business and then have to (laughs) abandon it before you come to these beliefs. Don't wait until your marriage is in shambles before you come to these beliefs. Um, don't wait until you've been struggling with addiction for five years to come to these beliefs. But at the same time, if you fail, there are really powerful lessons you can learn. Man, the um, so we, we do a lot of identity work through this sort of um, family business plan that I called it before, because mm. we start like the first thing we have guys do is go write your eulogy from your kid's perspective. Mm. Who are you wow. going to be? Yeah. Yeah. Not what are you going to have done, but who are you going to be in the eyes of your children who probably should matter most in this exercise mm-hmm. and through understanding all of this framework, you just build up this identity because what I see a lot of guys do is they try to serve, which they should do from a place of almost apparition like boundaries of their identity and Mm. so what that what that looks like for me is like 
I'm going to serve my wife, but it's just to make her happy, not mm-hmm. because it's the right thing to do for a husband to serve his wife and to love mm-hmm. her and to, to lead her and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it has to be built on that firm, solid identity. So I really love that you're doing that kind of stuff because it's a game changer when you just go, oh, I've got two feet on the ground. Now I can start doing stuff from me. And that was a huge lesson for me. But as well, one of the things I'm, I'm learning as I'm you know continually getting into and reading scripture is that, man, God is glorified through pressure cookers. So if you are in, like, I I look at, like, the Old Testament is insane, dude. Like, all of the stuff that happens, and you're like, oh, no. Like, everything's horrible. How could the Israelites possibly get through this? God's like, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to let it go actually worse. Uh Like, like, no, stop. Like, what are you doing? Like, don't harden his heart. And he's like, no, no, just a little bit more, a little bit more. You're like, God, what are you doing? And he's like, boom. No way that you could possibly even guess that that was within the realm of like possibility. And so I just want to like encourage guys as well. And and even myself in saying this Mm. is I I cannot ask the how questions because God will be glorified no matter what. And I just need to understand that this is part of the plan that if you're in a hard space right now, it very well could be, again, if you take that responsibility, I think that's a lot of what Christianity is, taking responsibility for your sin in the face of a holy God. But if you take that responsibility and you're in a bad place right now, what can you repent of? What can you forgive so that then God is glorified through the pressure cooker in your life? Mm -hmm. And that's one of these things that you talk about identity, you talk about failure, immediately comes to me. And so that's really been a good grounding tool for me to not just be like, oh God, why isn't everything perfect? Like, bro, first of all, you're not promised that. Go like maybe read the Bible a little bit more, but like, <laughs> go like, read God the Bible. glorified through this. <laughs> yeah. It's good. It's actually good. And um, there's a quote, I think, you know, what is it? The, uh, my greatest gifts grow to the gardens of my deepest wounds or something like that. And I think it's by Traver mm. Boehm. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, I love that quote because dude, all the hard stuff that I went through, all the bad stuff, it literally is allowing me to help and serve people in my life today. And Amen. if I didn't go through that hard stuff, I'd never be able to help men now. And so everything that you're going through, if it's hard now, go through it because then you'll be able to use that to serve and it'll yep. be amazing. It'll be a huge gift. So yeah, man, like I almost lost hope through my journey. I was going to off myself because I thought like I was the worst part of my family's life. I should just leave. I You're just not saying get that. that flippantly either. No, I was literally Googling while I was living in Thailand, how to like, you know, yeah, without much mess, mm-hmm. like remove myself from the picture. And that wasn't mm-hmm. going to be running away because that would have been too shameful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm telling you guys, and I, man, I don't know, maybe there's someone who needs to hear this. Maybe that's why I'm saying it, but I'm sure there um, is. there's hope, like there's abundant hope. If yep. going from that point to now, which like, dude, I love being alive. <laughs> I love my family. I love what I do. I love every single day. I'm so grateful to wake up. That if I can get from there to here with the burden of like feeling like a failure to my family and ruining my kids, which by the way, it wasn't too late. They're not ruined. Um, You've got time and you've got hope and you need to continue on because there's amazing things in store if you can persevere. And that's why it says so many times, persevere. Like, take courage, be strong, persevere. There's so much of that in the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. And I just want to encourage anyone who's in the darkness right now, bro, like, keep going. You can't see the other side of the tunnel, but I can. I know it's there. And I want to encourage you to keep keep on moving through that because it's not forever and God will be glorified through this. Dude, what a powerful note to end that on. That's reminding me, you basically quoted one of my favorite verses. So I'm going to look it up here. You guys hear the pages rustling. That's called a book. <laughs> It's, uh, it's like this hard copy of what you have on your phone. But uh, I think this is Psalm 27. Yep. He says, this is David writing. He says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. That's Psalms 27, 14. The idea is you've got to be of good courage and trust him to strengthen you, right? There's, there's two parts to it. We've got to take courage. We've got to wait on God, persevere, patience, taking courage, right? It's an active holding on and taking, and then we got to trust him to strengthen our heart. He will give you that strength. But to Kurt's point with like the Old Testament and these uh, these stories of the Israelites going through trials, it does get pretty bad. <laughs> it can get pretty bad. So don't think that you can't take it anymore if you're still breathing. Yes. Keep going. Take courage. Wait upon the Lord and he will strengthen your heart. Amen. Kurt, let's uh, let's hear from you, uh, and this will be in the notes as well, guys. But uh, where can we find you? 
Well, if you listen to podcasts, which obviously you do, uh, the Dadwork podcast, Apple, Spotify, everywhere like that. I think we're at like 160 episodes now. Um, also, Instagram, dadwork.kurt. And uh, yeah, those are probably two best places. We've got free trainings. We've got all sorts of stuff. And you can DM me if you want to join us for anything we do. Love it. Kurt, thanks for joining us on the path. And we will see you guys next time. Thanks, bro. Thank you for listening to the Dadwork podcast. That's it for this episode. But if you would like to stay in touch between weekly episodes, why don't you go over to Instagram and follow me there? Because I drop a number of things throughout the week that are related to what we talk about on this podcast, but usually go a little bit deeper, provide some tips. You can find me on Instagram at dadwork.curt. That's D-A-D-W-O-R-K dot C-U-R-T. And please, if you have been getting something out of this podcast, if it has touched you, if it has improved your marriage, your parenting, your life, would you please leave a quick review on Apple or Spotify? Leave a rating. If you have a few extra seconds, leave a quick review. That's the best way that we can get this work in the hands of more fathers. And I truly believe that we change the world one father at a time because each father that parents better, that loves better, raises children who do the same. And in just a couple of generations, I feel like we could be living in a world much better than the one we live in today. Your review will help along that path. And I thank you so much for being here to listen. Until next week, we'll see you then.